Well, hey, if we haven't met, my name is Mark. Uh, I'm the young adult pastor here at Grace Family, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, everyone that's here for the first time, we just want to say welcome home. Help me welcome everyone that's joining for the first time. I'm so glad that you are with us today. Maybe you didn't know this. We have a podcast um, here at The Exchange, and on a weekly basis, we have people listening from all over the world, and I want to welcome everyone that's listening and will be listening on the podcast. Come on, let's put our hands together for them. Well, man, I'm excited uh, as we kick off a new series, but before I get into the series and the message today, um, it's an exciting time at our church, Grace Family Church. It's Beach Baptism Weekend this Sunday. I'm excited about that. I know there's so many people from the exchange getting baptized, and man, maybe you want to be baptized and you want to take that step to profess your faith in a public way to Jesus. You can do that. It's not too late. I think we got a QR code on the screen that you can scan or you can text connect to 81313 to sign up for that. But today, you came on the perfect night. We're kicking off a new collection, a new series called Soul Care. Somebody say Soul Care. Come on, say it like you mean it, soul care. There we go. And every year, I, um, I'm committed to speaking to this topic of what it looks like to care for our souls because the Bible speaks about the soul quite often. And the Bible says the soul, it's the most important part of our being. The soul is the most important part of our being. And each and every one of us have a soul. I love what the author C.S. Lewis says. He says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul, but you have a body. You don't have a soul. You are a soul, and you have a body. And I love that thought because I believe wholeheartedly if we're going to live the life that God has called us to live, we've got to focus on providing care for our soul. We've got to focus on providing care for our soul. Um, in the book of, or the third book of John, Maybe you've never heard of this book or even read this book. It's all the way in the back of your Bible, but in the book of John, the third book of John, chapter 1, he says this to his friend Gaius. He says, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, somebody say good health, and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Even as your soul is getting along well. And what I love about this text in 3 third, uh, John, the epistle, is because he's communicating to his friend, Gaius, that I care deeply about your health, but not only your health, I care about your well-being and the state of your soul. And just as the apostle John is saying this to his friend, I believe it's almost a message from God to us, letting us know that he cares deeply about the state of our soul. And I think it's easy for us to neglect this area of our life. It's really easy for us to lose sight of this area of our life. You know, uh, last week I shared a little bit of what I've been walking through, and to say the past couple months have been interesting is a little bit of an understatement for me, but this past week, um, it was a little bit more of a load and a heaviness that I was experiencing. Um, I spoke four times last week in about five days. Um, I preached last Tuesday here at the exchange. And you probably see this and you're like, oh, you preach a sermon, not too bad, cool, whatever, it stunk. But what you don't see is what it takes to actually prepare a sermon. 
Any sermon would take from maybe 10 to 18 hours of preparation time. And I, I preached a message here on Tuesday night that I laid it all down. And I woke up Wednesday morning only to be reminded I got to preach again Wednesday at a gathering. And on Friday, I had to speak at a gathering. On Saturday, I had to deliver a message at a funeral. Sunday, I had two ceremonies that I had to perform. On top of that, um, for the first time in my life, I kind of felt like a single dad, okay? Um, my wife was at a gathering with about 60 of the women from our church. Come on, some of the women in our house. They were in Nashville, Tennessee at a conference, uh, growing in their knowledge of God's word. I was so excited for her, but when she told me about it, I was like, this baby though, like, <laughs> what, what are we about to do about this baby? So my wife left me home for 72 hours with a nine-month-old, okay? And um, let's just say um, your boy learned a lot in 72 hours, okay? Being a parent is amazing, but it's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult. Kid you not. First time mom leaves the house for an extended amount of time. Back to back to back days, my daughter decides to have a blowout. Okay. Not just any blowout, like I'm talking on the walls, on the curtain, like full deal. Okay. So being a parent is hard. That's what I'm trying to get to you. <laughs> but on top of that, uh, it was my wife's birthday. So I was like trying to be a good husband and prepare and getting everything in order and get her all these gifts. So when she comes home, it's a surprise. And on top of that, I also had a lot of different things going on at work, and it was just an overwhelming time, but the number one thing that I learned in this time was my soul isn't well. My soul isn't well. And I know as I share that with you, you're like, you're a pastor, like, should you be telling us that? But I, I just, I said it last week, but I wholeheartedly believe like this is who I am. God hasn't called me to be that pastor that acts like he has it all figured out. I'm called to live a life of authenticity and be real and share my pain points, my burdens. So can I tell you this? There couldn't be a more timely message than now for me to deliver this message. Because my soul was so overwhelmed with the chaos of life. My soul was overwhelmed with loss after loss and family and friends and people at the church. My soul wasn't at rest. And as I had all of this taking place at life, God quickly whispered to me, your soul isn't well because you haven't come to me. Your soul isn't well, Mark, because you haven't come to me. And I know when I stand up here on stage and I start to preach or when any pastor comes up on stage, you start to look at their life and be like, yo, they must be like in a perfect place. They must have it all figured out. Everything must be great in their life. But I think that's the problem when it comes to missing out and misunderstanding what it means to provide care for our soul. Because oftentimes if I were to ask you, how is your soul, you would automatically associate that to the external things in your life. You would associate that to how my relationships, my friendships, my finances, my family, all the things all-encompassing on the external are going. But when I talk about the soul, I'm speaking to the innermost part of you. I'm speaking to the internal part of your being where you're wrestling and where you feel like there's no peace and like there's no rest. And things feel chaotic and you feel stuck and you don't know what to do. 
It's the innermost part of you. I love what this pastor, Gordon McDonald, says. He says this, each of us, in a sense, have two worlds to manage. An outer world that consists of our career, possessions, social networks, and image. And we also have an inner world that is more connected to our character, values, emotions, and spirit. And I'm trying to help us realize today, our souls, oftentimes, or at a place of distress, or at a place of unrest, our souls are at a place where we're overwhelmed and heavy and burdened, but we never do the hard work of getting to the core. We never do the hard work of getting to the core. Oftentimes, we'll spend all of our time, all of our efforts, all of our energy focusing on the external and miss out on the internal. I love what Jesus says, In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he says, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? And Jesus is saying this to his disciples, and he's saying, Many of you, many of us, we will spend the rest of our lives pursuing the pleasures of this world at the expense of caring for our souls. We'll spend our whole lives worried about this body image on the gram, in the gym focusing on what we eat and focusing on what we wear, but never focus on the internal conflict that's keeping you from living the life that God has called you to live. And I think, I'm just kind of preaching off the cuff right now, I think God is waiting on a generation to see past the superficial and get to what he wants, your soul. Your soul. And here at The Exchange, that's what we're all about. We say we're not a crowd but a community. We're called to a life of authenticity. And I believe when we lean into what God's word has to say, we can find healing. We can find freedom. We can find rest for our souls. And in this collection, here's what I want to do. I want to speak directly to the things that are burdening our souls and keeping us from experiencing the life that God has called us to live. So today, I'm going to speak from this idea, S-O-S. S-O-S. It's said in the 1900s, um, the Marine Corps, they came out with this term as a distress signal. They came out with this term as a distress signal, S-O-S, and what this means, save our soul. Save our soul. And I believe so many of us may not even realize our souls are in need of saving. I believe so many of us today We're naive to the fact that everything on the outside may feel good, but deep down our souls, the innermost part of us, are wasting away. And our souls are in need of peace, our souls are in need of rest, and our souls are in need of saving. How do I know? Research would actually say that more than half of Gen Z and millennials are feeling burnout in some area of their life today. In fact, the APA, American Psychological Association, they would say over 48% of young adults ages 18 to 29 are experiencing some level of anxiety, depression, or chronic stress in their lives. Now, I would just submit this thought to you. Maybe you're experiencing that today. Maybe you're feeling that today. I want you to know, Jesus didn't die on a cross that you would experience this overwhelming unrest in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus came that we may have life and life more abundantly. 
And if you're experiencing this unrest, if you're experiencing this heaviness in your soul, I'm here to tell you today, you can find hope and freedom and rest and peace in the person of Jesus. But we got to deal with it head on. It's actually the author and preacher, uh, a man by the name of John Mark Comer, uh, one of my favorite communicators. He says, many of us, in fact, not, not many of us, but each and every one of us, will spend majority of our lives working, worrying, and wanting. Each and every one of us will spend majority of our lives working, worrying, and wanting. And I want to speak directly to those three things because I believe as we kick off this series, each and every one of us, we're being robbed of the life that God has called us to live because of those three things, working, wanting, and worrying. The first one is working. And when you think about this idea of working, I'm going to go super practical here. There's so many of us in the room today, ages 18 to 29, maybe you're trying to settle into your career and your future endeavors. And many of you, you're spending 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week at work. And you're doing this willingly, not realizing the effects it's actually having on you. You're doing this with the idea that this is gonna prove your worth at your job. It's actually research that proves after 55 plus hours of work, your performance decreases by 70%. That's staggering. But so many of us feel like this is the way forward. This is the way to advance in the business world. This is the way to win at my career. But really, it's affecting your soul. I think about this. Many of us, we're, we're, we're doing all of these different things at work. We're committed to punching the clock and we're committed to showing up the first one in the office and the last one in the office but you're doing it to be seen you're doing it with the wrong motivation some of you what you're doing is you're affecting your soul because you're serving human masters and you're doing it for the attention of other people and you're doing it to please other people you're not doing it with the mindset of what God's word has to say serve the Lord wholeheartedly and put forward your best foot for him not for man but you're doing it to be seen. And hear me on this, I'm not anti-work. I'm all about work. You can ask my team. Uh, I'm all about work. But I believe it's important that we have a theology of work. So let's go back to the beginning of time. Genesis chapter two, the creation story. It says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Verse three. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Verse four, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. I'm gonna skip down to verse seven. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I want you to see this. God worked and he rested. He had a rhythm. He worked and then he rested. In the coming weeks, I'm going to speak about the Sabbath, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds of that, but it's important for us to understand it's one thing to work, but it's another thing to learn how to rest. 
And it's something that each and every one of us are called to. It's, we're called to have a rhythm of rest in our schedule, but so many of us today, we're all about work, but not about rest. And I just got a question like, if God, the creator of all things, rested, why do you think you're exempt from that? Why do you think you don't need the rest? Why do you think that you can go about doing it your way and push through it and persevere through it? Even God the Father, who probably didn't need rest, he rested. He set the example for us, but so many of us today, we're ignoring the example and we wonder, why am I overwhelmed? Why am I burned out? Why do I feel this way inside of me? And like I said, like, I'm not anti-work at all. I'm on the Enneagram, if you believe in it. Oh, the Enneagram's demonic. Anyways. <laughs> I'm, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means, like, I'm an achiever. Your boy likes to get stuff done, okay? Um, I'll, I'll just share this. I don't know why this is coming to me. Um, the other night, Michelle and I were at dinner. Um, it's about, like, 1030. We pull up on the driveway. And I, I, I pull up on the driveway. And I look to my right, and I'm like, oh. The grass, man, it looks so dry. I'm obsessed with my grass. I don't know why, but it's just something that's come about. So Michelle goes to get out of the car, and I'm like contemplating. Do I need to do something about this right now? Yes, I need to do something about this right now. I go, honey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the corner store. End up going to Lowe's. I get some sod. Come back home. Your boy at 11.15 is raking out the dead grass, okay, and laying fresh sod. Like, what are you doing, bro? You don't have to clap for that, bro. You don't have to clap for that. It, it did not win any favor with my wife. I'll tell you that. She's like, what are you doing? We could be spending this time elsewhere. I'm like, God bless us. Anyways, you'll maybe get that later. <laughs> it's hitting some of you now. We love each other. Hallelujah. See, there's, there's some of us today that we obsess about work but have no rhythm of rest, but there's some of you in the room that know all about rest but not enough about work. Okay. I just hear this way too often. I got a couple that I'm talking uh, and meeting with right now, and I'm not airing them out. They would um, understand that I feel strongly about this, therefore I'm going to share about it. Um, man, I just want to speak to your heart real quick. I, I hear it all the time, like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to work that job. Like, I, I'm worth more than that. Or, man, like, my resume proves that I'm beyond that. Or, my skill sets don't don't match up to that. And it's like, homie, like, clearly you don't have a skill set if you can't keep a job. And and what I'm trying to help some of you understand today is when we look at this creation story, men. Before God gave Adam a partner, he made him serve his purpose. And some of you, you're obsessing over this idea of getting a partner and being in a relationship, but homie, how are you going to provide? You can't skip that step. You can't skip that step. But when it comes to this idea of working, I'm just gonna get off my soapbox anyways. We gotta understand order is important. God gives Adam, he, he, he forms man. And the scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter 2, he breathes life into man. 
He, he breathes his soul into existence. He breathes his identity into existence. And then what does he do? He puts him in the garden to work it. And please hear me on this. I think one of our greatest temptations as young people today is in this life we work for our identity and not from our identity. And so many of us today, we're working going, man, I am approved or my identity is in how much I make. My identity is in my paycheck. My, my identity is in my position. My identity will be found in that promotion. And I'm here to tell you today, that's the farthest from the truth. You don't have to live from the approval of a paycheck, a promotion, a position. You live from the identity of son of God or daughter of God. And I think so many of us today need to understand. I just even think about this. Like the idea of a salary, like it's like this is how much you're worth. I just, I don't know how I feel about that. It's just so man-made to me. Like when I look at the scriptures, what I learn is I am not a paycheck. I was worth the price of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me. I think so many of us today, we, we get our identity wrapped up in this idea that I am not successful or I'm not worthy or I'm not merit or I'm not worth anything because of this paycheck. I want to break you free of that today. I want to let you know, don't let that burden your soul. Second thing I would say is keeping us from living the life that God has called us to live is that so many of us today, we live in this world where we can't stop wanting things. Everything is I want, I want, I want, I want. And like John Mark Comer says, so many of us, we spend majority of our lives wanting and pursuing and desiring more and more. Two weeks ago, my wife and I, we had um, some of our best friends in town from Dallas, um, and they have three kids. We've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn. And um, I, being a good friend, I bought the kids, um, like Testinos, what do you call them? Bagel rolls, pizza rolls, whatever. Harlan doesn't eat that yet. Anyways. I bought them, like, hey, this is for you guys, and you know the adults are gonna eat steak, but we sit down at the table. This five and three-year-old had the audacity to look at me and go, I want the steak. I want steak. And they're like, I'm like, hold on, you about to make a mistake, hold on. <laughs> Coming at me like that. So give him a little cut of steak. I want more steak. Oh, gosh. Pull out the ice. I want ice cream. I'm like, no, you need to go to bed, okay? <laughs> but how many of you know it's comparison that is a killer of our contentment? And oftentimes, comparison is keeping us from living the life that God has called us to live. Oftentimes, comparison is keeping us from experiencing the rest and the peace in our soul that God has called us to live. It's the Apostle Paul that says we need to learn the art of contentment. The art of contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Skipping down to verse 19, and my God will meet all of my needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, he, he writes this from prison. And this man was known as a man who was poor. He was broke. He had no money. People would chastise him and be like, yo, why should we follow you, bro? You're broke. And Paul in this moment is saying, my joy isn't in possessions. My joy is in the person of Jesus. 
My joy isn't in a paycheck. My joy is in the person of Jesus Christ. My joy is not in a position. My joy is in the person of Jesus Christ. I just feel like this might be a revelation for some of you today. You need to see past possessions and focus on the person of Jesus Christ. You want joy for your life? Friends, it's not in a possession. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And so many of us today, we feel like we're being shortchanged and robbed of something from God because we have all of these desires for things. Meanwhile, the text says that we've got to learn the art of contentment. And I just want to help some of you with your theology. I think the church has done a poor job speaking truth. We don't follow Jesus for possessions. We follow Jesus for salvation. And some of us today need to realize following Jesus isn't about his hand. It's about him changing your heart. It's not about our wants. It's not about our desires. It's our desires in the first place that led us to a sinful place. We've got to come back to the truth. We've got to understand it's our wants that keep on burdening our soul. Have you ever thought about this? That celebrities, these people, that in the terms and the eyes of the world, they have it all. Houses, cars, clothes, the relationships, everything that so many of us idolize, and we go, I want that. But why is it that these people that apparently have everything in the eyes of the world, at the end of the day, they turn to addictions? They turn to killing themselves and taking their own life. Because at the end of the day, what they realize is there's a void in their soul. There's something that is missing. And can I submit this thought? It's not a possession. It is a person. And his name is Jesus. And I'm trying to help some of you understand in this room today, you want peace in your soul. It starts with Jesus. It starts with coming to Jesus. And it starts with learning contentment. What's so funny is my mom would always tell me as a little kid, little is much when God is in it. And man, even to this day, that still rings so true to me. Little is much when God is in it. And I just think what's so true about that is much isn't anything when God isn't in it. You can have everything. You can have the car. You can have the watch. You can have the shoes, the clothes, the house, the woman, the attention, the followers, the influence, the spotlight, but still miss out on the true meaning of life. We've got to learn the art of contentment if we want peace for our soul. The last thing I want to speak to that I believe is affecting our souls is worry. And so many of us are spending our lives worrying about tomorrow. And Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He's speaking to the disciples. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Skip it down to verse 34. He says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. You know, I think about the climate of where we are in today's day and age. It's, it's no secret that it's easy to be worried about a lot. It's easy to start worrying, like, will there be another pandemic? 
Will there be more loss? Will, will there be more pain in this life? Will there be more grief in this life? Think about some of you, like, you hear about, like, artificial intelligence. It's like, well, AI, steal my position at work and replace me, you know? Like, just think about how I feel, okay? Like, I'm a preacher. This is what I do. Like, I'm thinking, like, will I walk through the doors one day and chat GPTs, like, preaching the message? Like, <laughs> like so many of us, on a real note, though, like, we worry about our, our health and our finances, Maybe making a decision with school, maybe making a decision about a relationship, maybe making a decision about a living situation or finding a home and all these different things. It's so easy to worry about this. But when I read this text in Matthew chapter 6, what I get from Jesus is saying, he's saying, would you just be faithful to focus on today? And would you be faithful to trust me with tomorrow? Just be faithful to focus on today and trust that I have a plan for you tomorrow. I have a plan for your future. Now, I don't want to just be that cliche pastor or preacher that says, you know, the way we overcome our worry is by just stop worrying. Like, I, I just hear that all the time, and it makes me sick. That's like, that's super helpful, bro. <laughs> but I will tell you this truth. What you worry about the most reveals where you trust God the least. What you worry about the most in this life reveals where you trust God the least in your life. And what I know to be true about worry is it's a symptom of a desire for control. Worry comes about in our life and it stems from this desire to have control in situations and in moments of our life. And most recently I experienced this and this was like a revelation for me. I'm telling all these different stories about my daughter. They're actually true. But last week I was sitting down on the sofa and I'm watching TV and my daughter's next to me and my daughter has this weird thing where she loves like taking the controller and just biting on it. Don't get it, kids. But my daughter, um, apparently, this is what happened. I'm sitting there watching TV, and I fall asleep watching the draft. And um, I wake up, and I hear these voices in my house. And I'm like, somebody, like, break in, like, freaking out a little bit. But anyone ever, like, hit that setting on an Apple product called VoiceOver? And it's, like, the most frustrating thing in the world. I swear it's, like, demonic because you can't figure out how to turn it off. And I'm like... Where is this coming from? I wake up finally, I look. It's just my daughter. Just like, and the TV is like, settings, menu, mute, fast forward, pause. And I'm just like, Harlan, help me help you. <laughs> literally, like for 25 minutes, I'm trying to troubleshoot this TV. I'm like, she messed up this TV that I just bought. Lord, I love my daughter. It's okay. It's okay. God's working on me. It's just a thing. You know, you can reset it or whatever. But 25 minutes, I'm troubleshooting this thing. As I'm sitting there, I just feel like it was a revelation that, Mark, would you submit to the will of the Father? Because when you try to hold on to control, you are destined to mess things up. Would you, would you let go of control? And I just got a newsflash, like, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to let go of control. And what you learn to be true is there's only one person in your life that should have control. 
and it's God. But so many of us today, we're living worry-filled lives because we want to hold on to all of the control. And I believe God's just looking at us saying, would you trust me? Would you trust me? So many of our souls are afflicted because we want control in our lives. I think about this verse in Proverbs chapter 3. Maybe you've heard this before. Verse 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Would you trust him? Would you trust his plan? And as I was thinking about prepping for this message, I looked over at the message paraphrase of that verse, and it says this in Proverbs chapter 3, the same verse. Eugene Peterson would say it this way, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice. In everything you do, everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Instead, run to God. Run from evil, and your body will glow with health, and your very bones will vibrate with life. You want to find freedom for your soul? You want to find rest for your soul? You got to let go of control, and you got to learn to practice trusting God. See, as I close, you're probably wondering, well, what does this message look like to be lived out practically? Like, what does it look like for me to move from a worried soul or an overwhelmed soul or a soul that's unrest, a soul that's afflicted, a soul that is overwhelmed and burdened and weary? I'll tell you this, the first step is this. We need to go to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. I love what this verse says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus would say this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. You want to find rest for your soul today? The first step you need to take is you need to come to Jesus. And I believe so many of us today, we're stressed about everything because we've yet to surrender anything. We're overwhelmed. We're weary. We're burdened. We're distressed about everything because we've yet to surrender anything. And the way we go to Jesus is by, by praying and saying, God, I surrender. I surrender this situation. You, God, I'm overwhelmed in this area of my life. But God, I surrender and I leave this at your feet. The second thing that we need to do if we're going to move from being weary at our heart and our soul to finding rest in God is we need to admit that we're weary. No, I'm not preaching a super fancy, polished message. I want to be practical with this because when I look at a room of 400 people, I sense that so many of you today, you hear the message on a Tuesday night, but you still go home heavy-hearted. You go home burdened. And when we look back at that passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, and you'll find rest for your souls. Not only does he tell us we need to come to him, he says, you need to admit that you are weary and heavy burdened. And some of us not only need to go to Jesus, but we need to admit that we're weary 
and we're broken and we're burdened and we're in need of rest. And the verse tells us that when we go to him and when we're honest, he gives us rest. You ever spend time reading the book of Psalms? You, you read about the psalmist and you go, what was this man going through? The book of Psalms is a collection of different narratives and different aspects and moments in the psalmist's life where he's experiencing anguish and pain in his soul. He mentions soul dozens of times all throughout the book of Psalms. But every single time he goes to God, the scriptures tell us, and he finds rest. Are you going to God? Are you crying out to God? The third thing I want you to do to be practical with this message is you need to receive his rest. See, when we go to God and when we get honest with God and when we say, God, I need your help, God, I'm overwhelmed, God, I'm burdened, God, I'm in need of help, God, I'm in need of rest, we can trust that he will be faithful to deliver on his promise. And we can find rest at his feet. But in order for us to find rest, friends, we've got to be present and get into his presence. So many of us are just rushing through life, trying to do things on our own terms, but God is just looking at you saying, would you slow down? Would you come to me? Would you admit that you need help? And would you trust that I'll be faithful to give you rest? I'm preaching this message tonight because I look at a people that are weary and burdened and broken, and it's shaped your theology, it's shaped your view of God. But I want you to know if you're experiencing chaos and an overwhelming season of your life and you feel afflicted, you feel discouraged, you feel distressed, you feel like you're in sorrow, it's not God that moved. It's you. And today he's saying, would you come to me and would you trust me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. God, I thank you even in the midst of chaos. We can find rest, we can find peace, and we can find hope for our souls. I just pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, and God, that you wouldn't just make this a message for Tuesday, but God, this would show up in each and every day of our life. And that, God, we would walk in the freedom and the promises and the purpose that you have for us. Lord, save our souls, rescue our souls, give us peace and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.